from Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 46. That's on page 856 for those of you who are using one of the Pew Bibles. And let me say again that um, if you're somebody who doesn't have a Bible, then Merry Christmas. Please take one of ours. Uh, We're in the middle of a series right now uh, for Advent. This is the third week in Advent. And we've been talking each week about um, Advent being a time of longing for Jesus. For hundreds of years, Christians have been celebrating the season of Advent as a way of looking to the coming of Jesus. Um, Advent comes from a Latin word for to come, and Christians have looked back at this time of year as a time where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, when he stepped into our world, when he brought salvation to his people. And it's also a time of looking ahead, looking ahead to the fact that God is coming, that Jesus is coming back, that he's come once and he's coming again, and he's going to bring to final and full flourishing all that he brought in the first time that he came. It's a time of longing for us. So let's look at our text uh, together for this morning. Again, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And as we prepare to read, let's come together um, to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, this is your word that we open up, and we pray that you would use it to speak to us. And Lord, we come to you um, in many different states. Some of us are encouraged. Some of us are glad to be here. Some of us don't know why we're here. Some of us open up um, a passage like this in Luke with great expectancy to hear from you. And some of us open up your word, and we don't know that it is your word. And we're not sure that we are going to hear from you. Lord, wherever we are, we pray that you would meet us, that your word would break through into our lives, that by your spirit you would speak to us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold... From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. As we come to this song of Mary, this um, psalm of praise that she speaks for us, um, I found myself thinking about the season that we're in. And in case you're wondering, we only have a week left until Christmas is here. Um, and if you're like me, that means you're, you're entering into the time of shopping anxiety. <laughs> I know people who um, begin Christmas shopping early in the fall, and they're thinking thoughtfully about their family and their friends and trying to figure out what to give them. And that's always seemed to me like a way to prolong the uh, difficulty and agony that is shopping. So I prefer to focus it into one narrow band in the year. And so if you're like me, that time has come. We're, we're in the middle of that now. 
And as you think about shopping for uh, gifts for friends or family, you know the people in your family that are the people that are hard to shop for. I have those people in my family. I've been accused of being one of those people in my family. What could this person? What could this person use? What does this person need? What is it that I could give this person that would really give them joy? That would really make them smile? That they would really appreciate? And then you know that phrase. It usually shows up this time of year in commercials. The gift that you give to the person who has everything, right? And you, you know what that person is. Somebody you know that you're like, what? What could I possibly? give to them. They seem to have everything they possibly need, everything they want. What can I give them? And so the question comes up, what do you give the person who has everything? Well, the answer is, according to our text, that you can't give them anything. That for the person who has every who has everything, there's nothing that you can give them. Now, we're going to look at this song of Mary's today. We're going to look at What does it teach us about longing for Jesus? We're going to see just this. That only those who have room for Jesus actually long for him and actually find him. Only those who have room for Jesus actually long for him and actually find him. We're going to see this just in two things about this song. We're going to see Mary's surprising praise and we're going to see Mary's surprising insight. So those two things. First we're going to look at this praise of Mary's, looking especially at verses uh, 46 through 49. Think about what's happened in the story leading up to this. Mary, um, this, this peasant girl in Palestine, gets a visit from an angel who says, you know, you, Mary, are the recipient of God's favor. And he is going to bring um, his promises to fruition through you. He's going to give you a son, the one who's going to have the throne of his father, David, the king forever. And he's going to be called the son of the Most High, the son of God. He comes to Mary and says, this is what's going to happen to you and through you. Now, Protestants don't like to talk about Mary. Because, you know, we're, we're scared of Mary. Because, you know, we see theological traditions maybe that we feel like have made too much of Mary and it's made us too frightened to talk about this person that Scripture gives to us in in Luke. Mary, this peasant girl, likely very young, likely in her teenage years, um, with her family, getting ready to get married, getting this earth-shattering visit from an angel that tells her both a great blessing but also implies for her great hardship because she's going to be misunderstood by almost everyone she knows. She's likely going to be accused perhaps even of adultery because of this son that she's going to bear. At the moment when she's receiving this word, surely there's the fear of even Joseph, the one I'm betrothed to, surely even he is going to abandon me. This Mary, this frightened teenage girl, some of you I know are um, amateur poets, you like to write. Everybody has this dream, if you like to write, or if you're maybe a, a student of poetry, somebody who enjoys that, of one day, what if I write a poem that people really care to read and that really lasts? Mary writes a poem of praise that's lasted for 2,000 years. and has by, been read by people around the world and through time. And it just strikes me that it's this young girl 
with God breaking into her life in this surprising way. This recipient of grace. And here, Mary gives us a picture of praise, this surprising praise. First look at her gaze. Page 46, or excuse me, verse 46 and 47. What is Mary looking at? Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She finds herself looking at God, responding to her, responding to him with her whole being. It talks about um, my soul magnifying the Lord, my spirit rejoicing in God. These are She's using these synonymously to, to encompass her whole being, everything about her, responding in praise and thanksgiving for what God's doing in her life. It says that she magnifies the Lord. And it means exactly the way we tend to use the word, to make something large, for it to loom big in our eyes. What do you do when you, when you magnify something? You, we, we might get the wrong impression here. Mary has to magnify the worth of the Lord. It's like the scientist that pulls out the microscope and looks under a slide at the little bacteria, something very small and minuscule, magnified so that we can see it. Okay, that's, that's the wrong picture here. Maybe a better picture would be what we do when we pull out our binoculars. Um, I've picked on Kansas before, so I'll go ahead and pick on Kansas again and all its flatness. But if you've driven across Kansas, um, heading towards Colorado, eventually what do you see? You start to see the outline of mountains on the horizon, distantly. And what can you do? You can pull out your binoculars and see something that's incredibly large brought close to you. And that's what Mary, that's what Mary is doing. She's picking out this thing on the horizon and drawing it close, holding it up, showing it for all its worth and its majesty and its size, and she's gazing at it. She's magnifying the Lord. So the question for us, um, Advent season, what are our eyes locked in on? What are the, thing, what are the things that are being magnified in our eyes? What are the things that our, that our gaze is... Um, directed intently at? What are the things that we're looking to? And is it the greatness of God? For Mary, it was the greatness of God, his provision for her. But the more astounding thing is um, not only that she's gazing at God, but that he's gazing at her as well. Look in verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's no surprise that Mary, seeing herself as the servant of the Lord, talks about looking at her master. But the surprising thing is that he turns and looks at her. That she's magnifying him and he gives her his gaze and his attention. And it strikes me about Mary that she doesn't take this point for granted. She doesn't take it for granted that God would turn and look to her. Uh, you know the quote from Shakespeare that all the world is a stage. And who stands on that stage? Well, for most of us, most of the time, we do. <laughs> right? Who is the player on the stage? It's us. What does Mary say? She looks and says, all the world's a stage. And it's God who stands on the stage. And my gaze is fixed on him. And unbelievably, he's looking back at me. He's giving his attention to me. Mary knows that this coming of Jesus, 
that's been announced to her is a sure sign that God has not forgotten us, that he has not looked away, and that we haven't escaped his attention. And she responds by acknowledging that she's blessed. And what does that mean? That she's someone who's received God's favor, who's received God's mercy. She's someone who's received the gift of God. And what she gives testimony to is God's blessing in her life. Because to be blessed is to be a recipient of God's favor and goodness. It's not to earn a salary. It's to receive something that he freely gives and not something that you offer back. And she's amazed at God's might, his power, working for her good. Verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Because you see, praise makes much of God. I find myself drawn to Mary because she gives us this picture of praise, of someone whose attention, and as we think about this in this season of Advent, someone whose attention is riveted on the one who graciously provides for her. Now that's Mary's praise. She also has a startling insight into what it means to long for Jesus and to receive um, his presence. And there are two parts to this. One is that those who are full are going to miss God. Those who are full are going to miss God. Look at verse 51. God has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. Further on in 53, the rich he sent away empty. God shows his strength, and what does he do? He scatters those who are proud. And this runs right through Scripture all the way through, that God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble. And it's a, it's a frightening statement, isn't it? That God opposes the proud, that he scatters them, that those who are fixed on themselves are actually going to miss God. It says that verse 52, that he brings down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 53, God has sent the rich away empty. Those who are full miss God. Now, it would be easy for us to um, not feel the punch of this. And I, I think the fullness that it's speaking of, it refers certainly to material things and it refers certainly to spiritual things as well. Because what happens? When we are full, we are not hungry. And Mary points out that when we're full, it's easy for us to be independent. It's easy for us to lose the edge of our longing. And that can be in some very um, practical ways. For those of us who are rich, it's hard to long for Jesus because it's hard to see our own need. And you get down to 53 and he says, he sends the rich away empty. Now, it brings up the question, is this, is this just unfair and harsh of God? That he's rejecting those, that he's turning from those um, who come to him in, in their fullness. But my question is this, how could it be any other way? How is it possible to receive God any other way? Um, I grew up in Tennessee. Not in the mountains of Tennessee, as the story might lead you to believe. Um, and I can't verify that it's true, but here it is. Do you know how to catch a raccoon? We have raccoons in our yard, so this is a, uh, an actual question for us. Here's how you catch a raccoon, I'm told. You put together a wooden box. 
nail it together with some food inside, and you drill a small hole in it, and you mount it on a pole. And what a raccoon does is it climbs up that pole, and it sticks its arm through the hole, and it grabs the food. But then it can't pull its arm back out because it's made a fist. And a raccoon won't let go of the food. He'll stay there all night until you come and catch it because he won't let go. And the very thing that he's grasping onto to find his life is the thing that brings his doom because he can't let it go. And I heard that story and I just thought, what a, what a picture of us when our hands are full of the things that we're looking to for life. When we can't let go of it. What does this psalm of praise tell us? That only those who have empty hands can have them filled by Jesus. And Mary is saying there are so many things that keep us from having empty hands. So many things that our hands reach in and grab and find themselves filled with. Another way of looking at it, we've had a few nights this month that have been cold enough to actually have a fire. And we have a wood-burning fireplace in our house, but I take the shortcut and I use those little you know, artificial logs that you just light on the corner. Here's the thing about those logs. Uh, I, the safety warning says that you're only supposed to burn one at a time. You can't, you can't just pile them up. And maybe that's a good picture for our hearts too, that you can only burn one log, that there can only be one thing that really stands at the center. There can only be one thing that is really giving you warmth. There's no room for anything else. It's not safe to have anything else, and you can't have more than that. And Mary brings up, what is it? What is the log? What is the thing you're warming yourself by? What is the thing that you're filling your hands with? And she says that those who are full are going to miss God. But the other half of this is that those who are needy find God. Look at the assurances he gives us. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. What does it mean to fear God? To give him weight to hold him in highest regard, to place the fundamental affections of our heart on him, to have reverence, to have awe. And what does he say? His mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He lifts them up. He raises the lowly. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. He doesn't simply provide food. He doesn't simply meet their basic needs. He fills them, fills them with good things for those who come to him with open hands. Verse 54, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. He holds himself to his promises. His promises for those who come to him empty-handed for those who actually know their need, like Mary did, that he comes in and fills that need. Only those who are empty can actually receive. What's it going to mean for us to have open hands right now during Advent? What's it going to mean for us not to um, cling to the things that give us status and success and praise? What's it going to mean for us to realize that those don't actually reach us at our deepest need? What's it going to mean for us to actually be open to this Jesus um, that's held forth to us by Mary? 
that we would really be free to be people who long. Now we open up talking about uh, the, the shopping dilemma. What do you do with the person who has everything? What do you give to the person who has everything? Well, you can't give them anything. What about this? What do you give to the person who knows that they don't have everything? What do you give to the person, in fact, who knows that they don't have what they need the most? Well, Mary says, then the door is open for you to actually find a Savior, for you to actually find this Jesus that she holds up to us. For those of us that don't find ourselves filled with all those other things, what does she say? Turn and find the thing that really fills us. Let's pray. Father, I confess that my hands grasp so many things. Father, I pray that you would make us hungry for you. I pray that you would make us people who are able to let go of the things that we chase after, that we might receive you. Father, I pray that um, this Advent season would be one in which we come to know and receive and love and experience you more deeply maybe than ever before. That we would remember your goodness to us. That we would turn from things that distract us. Even good things when they crowd you out. We pray that you would be the one log on the fire. That we would warm ourselves by you. And we thank you that you offer yourself to us in all your fullness. And that because of you, the hungry are filled with good things. Pray that you would meet us, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Twenty-three. O come, O come, Emmanuel.